Welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. Week, but today we want to talk about um, because we're launching small groups, we really do want to take some time just to share with you why. Why we think you should join a small group. Um, and so it's not, there's no pulpit, we're not preaching, and I want, I want her to help talk with, uh, talk with you um, and uh, help, help explain that. But the main passage today is Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on the hill cannot be hidden. And so here Jesus is not giving us some instruction of something to do. Notice the first words are, you are. Um, he's bringing revelation as to what uh, we are. And he's speaking to an entire crowd of people. In the beginning of Matthew chapter 5, it says that he went up onto a mountain. And uh, it says that his disciples followed him. So his disciples didn't even know where he was going. And Jesus went up onto a mountain. And uh, it says in, in, in Matthew 5 verse 1 that he opened his mouth. It's an interesting way to start the passage. But... Um, to open your mouth in those days means to project your voice. So Jesus is obviously talking to a large group of people without a PA system. Uh, he goes up onto a mountain so that his voice will project. And, and everyone, if you look at the, the, the Judean countryside, these, these slopes of just grassy and sandy kind of areas, and then you have these, these high peaks. And so he goes up to a high peak, projects his voice. Everybody is sitting. They can all hear him. Uh, without a PA system, and he says to them, thundering, really, it's like an opera singer. Opera singers don't use microphones, right, because they project their voices, and theaters are set up in such a way that you can hear them in the back. Well, Jesus projects his voice, thundering, you are the light of the world. Now, now, when he says you are the light, it, he doesn't necessarily mean that you are projecting light or emitting light. He means it sort of in the sense that I would say, if I walk into a dark room and I say, well, I need to turn on the light. So the light's in the room, but it's off currently. And so when Jesus says, you are the light of the world, he doesn't mean that everybody is shining forth light. He means that everybody is made to shine light. Everyone is created to. Everyone has the potential to shine light. But we don't have light in and of ourselves. We receive light from the Father, and we shine the light that he's given to us. He, he, he says this again in Matthew chapter 5, where he says the light of the body is the eye. <clears throat> and so just like the light of the world is humans, the light of the body is the eye. And he says if your light is good, your whole, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is evil, he says, your whole, eye will be, your whole body will be full of darkness. And he says if, if the light inside of you is darkness... How great is that darkness? And so, and so he's saying to the people, you're the light of the world. Not that they have light within themselves, but that they have the potential. And that's key. They have the potential to be an illuminating factor in the world. And then he tells them something else. You are a city that has been set on a hill. Now, that phrase, a city on a hill, was actually a common saying um, in Judaism. Uh, it, it, it's in their writings um, that they said that they were a city on the hill. What they meant by that was that the Temple Mount um, was the, 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 at the top of the hill in Jerusalem. And um, now they said that actually the Temple Mount was the highest place in the world geographically. Um, we know that's not true. 
One, they didn't travel everywhere in the world, so they never saw Mount Everest. But even in their own region, Mount Ararat is clearly higher than uh, Jerusalem. But they said that because uh, throughout the Old Testament, throughout the Psalms especially, the, the mountain of God or Mount Zion or the hill of the Lord um, was a very special place. It was a powerful place. It was, you were more close to God when you were at the temple. And so that's why they said it was the highest place on earth because it was the nearest to God. And they prided themselves in this fact that they were a city that had been elevated above everybody else. They had been raised above everybody else because God, the God of the universe, met with their forefathers in the desert made a covenant with their people, and literally God built their nation. And so they felt like, man, we are something special. Jesus takes the same saying, and his emphasis, though, now is not on the temple. It's not on the building. The emphasis is on the people. He says, you are the light of the world. See, this, this is where two things Jesus is always doing. He's always messing up your religion, your religious mindset, because they, they saw that God had elevated them, and they said, oh, look how special we are. <laughs> and Jesus said, no, no, God has elevated you for a purpose, for a reason. And it's not so that you feel special about yourself. It's so that you can be a light to others, so that you can share and shine to others. If God lifts you up, it's not so you can look down on others. It's so you can reach down to others. And so Jesus is, is, is bringing you know, his, his perspective to this. And he says, you are the light of the world. You are a city. On a hill, a city that has been set. In other words, you didn't set yourself. It has been set. It's a pre-planned, unlike Austin. Come on, somebody. <laughs> somebody put some planning into this one. Um, yeah, anybody that lives in central Texas, you know what it's like to live in a city that they didn't think was going to grow. <laughs> right? I mean, Kyle, Buda, Austin, San Marcos. I've lived... Uh, in, in New Braunfels is the only city where they've effectively kept people from coming there, I guess. I don't know how that works, but <laughs> at least when we were there, it was pretty safe. But now it's like, it's like the roads are not set up for this amount of people. The traffic lights, the entranceways into subdivisions are wacky. And, and, and it's almost like we're making it up as we go along. <laughs> I think we are. So God doesn't work that way, though. He doesn't make up your life as you go along. He has a plan. And, he's, and Jesus says, you are a city that has been set. There's an intentionality to where you have been set. You weren't born into the family you were born in by accident. You're not living in the country you're living in by accident. You're not living in the city or the state that you're living in by accident. And is, this isn't to make you feel guilty about your privilege. This is to make you realize that there's a God above you who has already ordained for you a place for you to be, and there's purpose. There's purpose to the place that you're in. Yeah. Yeah, you can jump in. I'm sorry. You can I, just jump in at any given time. 15 years, no just, worries. Just we can go. jump in over you. <laughs> <laughs> I was... I was... Uh, oh, shush. <laughs> I was weed eating yesterday, and I have a plug-in weed eater. 
because um, I don't trust those gas ones. <laughs> Want to plug it in? And um, my extension electrical, cord. Electrical. Sure. Tweeted, right? um, not ding dong, but electrical. And um, I wanted, you know, my, my um, cord must be getting bad because the cord kept falling out of it, like every five seconds. I was, you know, weed-eating along, and then it would lose power, and I'd be like, ah, put the cord back in again. It was driving me nutty, but, you know, I don't solve my problem. I just keep plugging it back in. But God started speaking to me and started saying, you know, Rowena, this weed whacker would never know that it wasn't plugged in if you weren't using it and asking something of it. And I started being like, well, that is true. And he was saying, you know, the church, in the church, that's one of the purposes of the church is that it asks something of you when you are a part of a community. Um, I was listening to Francis Chan this week and he was talking about that if we are able to love each other as we are supposed to, that that will be a light to the world. The church asks of you to love. It asks of you to give of yourself. You know, after COVID, when we first had, after COVID, sorry, after the shutdown of six weeks when we weren't allowed to meet together, I remember coming back for our first service together and having corporate worship again mm. and realizing that the church provides this amazing experience of corporate yeah. worship, which is very different from the worship I have on my own, which is different than the worship I experience online. Mm. Something about being able to gather together. You know, that's something that the church does. That's something that community does. It calls you into it. It asks it of you. This week I was reading about the Afghanistan church and a, a lady was sharing on her Facebook feed that she had been talking to her friend who's in Afghanistan, who's part of a church, and um, they had asked that her um, in America be praying for them because they were going through such a tough time. They were expecting to be martyred very soon. And, um, and so she was talking to her while they were having a church service. She was talking to the lady in Afghanistan while they were having a church service. And the lady was said, we can feel your prayers from America. We've mm. got such courage. We're singing. We're joyful. The children are singing. We're so filled with the Spirit. And then this lady said she could hear gunshot and screaming. And they all got martyred right there while this lady was talking to them. But... But the church provides encouragement and it provides yeah. courage. And those people were not scared. Those people were mm. not hurting. They were joyful and they were experiencing God and they went to meet him. I mean, that's a kind of perfect way to go and meet Jesus. Yeah, and there's so many around the world. We're just folks in Afghanistan right now because there's so much coming out of the American involvement there. But, but throughout the world, uh, in China right now, Christians are being taken uh, to northern uh, concentration camps yeah. and, you know, being stuck with uh, cattle prods. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's just, it's absolutely, this is a part of our, our heritage as Christians. Mm. And so if you, if you cringe at the, the thought of persecution, well, it's probably coming this way also. If you read the book of Revelation, there's, this, is the, this, this freedom that we experience is not um, the normal for, for Christians. For uh, centuries, we have been on the run. <laughs> we have been labeled as crazy, as racist, as sexist, as homophobic. We've been labeled as all kinds of anti-other. And then we've, we've been, had our identity stripped from us. And then we've been hunted. <laughs> we have been imprisoned, and we have been martyred, and we have been persecuted. And this is, this is kind of what you should expect to some extent as a Christian. Um, and, and, and to me, the greatest uh, joy is to know that, that I am following God, 
no matter what comes, whether, whether following God gets me a big church and I get a big house because of that, or if following God gets me martyred and I have a mansion in heaven waiting for me, um, that would actually be a much better thing than a big church and a big house because your big church is going to go away and your big house is going to go away. Um, but, but heavenly rewards, Jesus said, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And so these, these brothers and sisters in Afghanistan and around the world are people that we're standing with and praying with, not, not, that, not that they would be necessarily rescued from everything. Um, although, man, it would be great for God to preserve life. Um, and I am praying for that. But, um, but if we get too focused in the here and now, then we start asking God to get the right president in or the wrong president out or whatever our politics are. And we get so focused on this world that we forget that, um, that this is normal for Christians to be persecuted um, and, to, and to stand up for their faith in the midst of persecution. And we pray for courage for those Christians. We pray for strength for those Christians. Um, we pray for, uh, yeah, and, and I'll guarantee you, those Christians don't need a sermon about the importance of community and small groups. I'm pretty sure that they're not having to try to clear their calendar to make sure they have time to hang out with other Christians. Um, and so, in a way, it would be easier to preach this message to them because it would be null and void. It would be pointless. We'd be like, never mind. You guys are already in a small group. Um, let's just go tell more people about Jesus um, because that's really what it's all about. But for us here in America, we, we do get distracted and we forget the importance of Christian community. And then we suffer because of it. And so what, what, what we want to talk to you about today is that, is that Christian community is intentional, that God has planned it this way. He has designed us to be a city. A city is a, it's an intentional group of people who've decided to live together for each other's mutual benefit. That's what a city is. Um, they have decided to come together for each other's mutual benefit. And that's what, that's what Jesus calls his followers. You guys are a city. We are a city. And, and, and it is within that. It's so interesting. I, I have a picture of the Temple Mount, if they could show it to you. It's like a drawing of the temple in Jesus' day. And you'll see that uh, Jesus says, you're a city on a hill. Well, that city is basically around the temple. You see that? God um, designed the temple and then built a whole bunch of housing around it and living around it so that his presence would dwell in the middle of a group of people, of a group of people who are, um, you know, playing PlayStation in their homes. Maybe not there, but, you know, they're going around, they're, they're, they're doing stuff, they're reading books in their homes, they're having fights in their marriage, they're having arguing going on. And we're not talking about perfect people, we're not talking about people who don't make any mistakes, but, but God wanted to dwell among people, even, even imperfect people, even people that would crucify Jesus. This is where his presence is. This is where his, his temple is. And it's in the middle of their everyday life. It's in the middle of their marriage life, their family life, their kids, their schooling. It's in the middle of them going to, uh, to, to classes. It's in the middle of them going to the, the grocery store or the market in those days. It's in the middle of, of life that God dwells in the middle of people's interactions or people coming together. And we see this also in, in, the, in the Old Testament when God um, instituted the building of the tabernacle, which was a tent. And, and in, I think it's in Numbers, he gives a specific place where he wants the tent to be pitched and where he wants everybody else to pitch their tents. 
So you don't just you don't just pitch your tent anywhere. God's going to tell you where to pitch your tent, and uh, it's it, it, because he's 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 creating symbolism for us. And so if we look, I have a picture of that too, like a drawing of the way that it would have been. You have the tabernacle directly in the middle, that God positioned his presence, the place where he would dwell, in the middle of his people, and all of his people are lined up in in a shape. And this is what's really interesting from heaven's view in the shape of a cross. That God is projecting, he's prophesying that his presence would come. And by the way, in that cross, where, like, where is the temple? The temple is right in the heart. So the heart of the body of Christ stretched across the, the tree that he was crucified on is the heartbeat of the church, is the presence of God. And so ultimately, it's not a social club, and it's not just about people being friends and hanging out, but it is within community that God comes and dwells and he moves within his people. And if you're and if and, and, and if you're claiming to have his presence but you're rejecting community, you can do that for a while, but it just simply won't last. It's like claiming to have a marriage but rejecting conversations. You can be married for a while legally, but you're not going to have a relationship for very long. There's there's something about the interconnectivity of God's people with God himself. And then even if you zoom in, like right there in the middle is the tabernacle. And if you zoom into the tabernacle and go into the holy place and then go into the holy of holy place where a priest would only go once a year, I have a picture of that, that God, his literal presence, his Shekinah was the word, but glory would dwell right there on top of that golden box. That box is called the Ark of the Covenant. And God told them exactly how to build it, how many inches to make it. And he told them to carve these two angels and to make the two angels' wings come together and touch at either end. And he said that he would dwell between, in the middle of the wing. Because this is the, God setting a pattern. This is how God shows up. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together, there I am in the middle of them. And so... This is how God dwells. If you want to experience the fullness of God, you must come in the middle of community. And small groups is one way that we have community here at City Chapel. It's one way that we can get together, get to know each other, communicate. We can learn together. But more than that, we can have fellowship or friendship together. And it is within the connection, the friendship. It's not even the lessons or the teaching. It's not the praying. There's a lot of praying that goes on in our small groups. People get prayed for a lot, and that's wonderful. But it's the connection, and it's within the middle of that connection that God shows up. I mean, how many times, how many experiences have you had with God, and then how many times have those experiences been linked to another human being? I don't mean the human being did it, but I mean the human being said something. Or the human being laid a hand on your head. Or the human being preached something. Or the human being sang something. Or the human being prayed with you about something. Or the human being was just talking to you about random life. Like, the amount of experiences that we have with God in his presence is, is, is just, it, it is within the context of community. It's within that, that touch. Recently, um, I really felt the Lord saying to me that he wanted me to bring the kids to pursuit nights. So that's on a Wednesday mm. night. They have a worship and prayer night here at the church. And I don't know if you're like me, but by the time it gets to eight o'clock at night, I'm tired. I don't want to go anywhere. I, <laughs> I don't want to go out. So, um, yes, a, most people 
Most, Most people, people are like that. Not my husband. My husband is wide awake till like one in the morning. I'm ready to go. Yeah. He gets more chirpy at nighttime. I get less chirpy. Chirpy. And, <laughs> it's you. And, um, and so out of obedience, I said, okay, yeah, well, I'll take the kids every second Wednesday night. And um, my son, Micah, he's 10 years old. And for probably the six months before that, he'd been really wrestling with hearing from the Holy Spirit. He was like, mom, I don't hear from God like you and dad do. Why don't I, don't, why don't I hear from God? And mm. I was talking to him about, you know, hearing from God in the Word and hearing from God from other Christians. And, um, and he was just really wrestling. And he was wrestling with holiness. He really wanted to live a pure life in front of God. And he was just wrestling with... Um, receiving God's grace to do that. He was trying to muster it on his own. And, um, and I didn't really put two and two together. Bringing him to Pursuit Night would really help him with that. I figured home in my home. You know, we, we homeschool. God is just throughout the curriculum. Me and Harry are always talking about God. Yeah. It's just God is everywhere in our home. But I started bringing them to Pursuit Night. And especially in Micah, I have seen such a change in him experiencing God in those times and it has allowed him to understand what it means to hear from the Holy Spirit. And he's starting to talk to me about what God's saying to him. And then it's helped him to understand God's grace in his life. And he is starting to understand what it means for God to be patience through him for mm. his sister, what it means for God to be joy, for God to be diligence through him. And it's not him mustering it up anymore. It's him accepting God's help in letting God live through him. And so that's in community. That didn't mm. happen just at our house. That happened when I brought my kids into a place of corporate worship and prayer where God's presence was and God ministered to them in a way that I'm not able to, which I love. That's what, you're getting hot. <laughs> it's just the back door is open. It's it getting is. warm up in the here. Out, the outside air is coming in. Harry doesn't like the outside air. When I, I, when I open the windows the at home, I, I am talking. When I open the windows at home... <laughs> 15 years. I just... <laughs> it all changes after 15 years. No. You know, when we get into the spring and fall and you don't want the air conditioner anymore, you want the windows open, he, and then I'll close them before he gets home from work because I know he doesn't actually like the smell of the outdoors. And he'll come in and be like, it smells like outside in here. I'll be like, oh, how do you know? Uh, you know, yeah. The spring and fall <laughs> is fine when it's actually spring and fall, but this is not fall. This is still... Uh, High 90s, we're talking. It, yeah, it was in the hot. 80s until noon. I checked. Really? Uh -huh. Keep going. Uh, you're still in Michigan weather, I think. <laughs> um, yeah, and so this, this, this idea that, that, we're, that we're talking about, that God moves through community, that's why we want you to join a small group. Absolutely. Because we want you to experience more of God. Mm. Um, small groups are just, we don't get any special award for getting people to join small groups. <laughs> Um, hey, there's no plaque that we get on our wall or anything like that. Or any, it's strictly for you to connect more with God. And so the small groups that we have this season, we only have uh, four small groups. One of them is uh, one that is, has been going for a while, uh, a front porch Bible study, um, where Roe gets together with some folks and they go through the Bible. I don't know what book of the Bible you're studying now. But they're always studying a uh, chapter of the Bible and just breaking that down. And that meets on Sunday evenings. Yeah. Um, but the rest of the groups, um, and if you want to sign up for that, you can talk to Ro at the end of service back there. But the rest of the groups are all going to meet. We're trying to make it as simple as possible for you on Tuesday nights at 7 o'clock here at the church. So 
We're not meeting in each other's homes right now. We're just meeting here at the church. Um, we'll be in different rooms, and there will be childcare, so somebody will be looking after your kids. So um, uh, if you want to come, we have three groups meeting on Tuesday night. So how about you tell them about those, those three yeah. groups? Yeah. Um, one of the groups we've got is the Freedom Group that Poppy and Jackie have been doing. Um, that's been running for a couple of years, and it, it is phenomenal material. It is so good. Um, they have its videos and then discussion time. Uh, I highly recommend that for getting free from things that have bogged you down um, and, and learning what God's plan for freedom is in your life. So there's that one. And then Harry and I are going to be doing a spiritual gifts um, group, learning what your spiritual gifts are, what God has given you to bless the church, basically, because spiritual gifts aren't for you. They're for the community. They're for the church. They're for the um, growing of the church, for the blessing of the church, for the encouragement of the church. So that's what we'll be going through. You'll be doing tests. Ah, it'll be like exams all over again. No, it's not at all. They're easy tests and they're fun tests. Um, so we'll be doing that. And then the last one we're doing, Peter and I don't even, there he is. Oh, Peter and Delisha are running their marriage small group, which again is an incredible small group. The um, guy that they use, the book that they use, it's book or video? Video based as well. He's great. I've listened to him lots. I try and listen to him on YouTube once a week just to get some great nuggets for marriage. Um, yeah, really good stuff. So they're three incredible groups. I think there's something for everybody. And then if you want to just do Bible studies with us on a Sunday night, we usually meet at Carol's house um, and, and just hang out when it's cool enough on her front porch. And if it's not cool enough, we hide inside in the air conditioning. And um, yeah, come to one of them. I highly encourage you. I just, there's just no reason not to. I mean, why not? Yeah. Yeah. And this is, this is what um, Jesus meant. I was looking at Matthew 16. Um, Matthew 16, Jesus says to Peter, and we um, taught on this passage a couple weeks ago, where he said that uh, upon this rock, Jesus said, I will build my church. And he means the revelation of himself. Upon this rock, Jesus is the rock by the way. He is the chief cornerstone, the stone that the builders rejected. And he said, I will build my church. And um, that word church is in the Greek, it's ekklesia. And it's the first time that that word had ever been used in the Bible when Jesus said that in Matthew 16. Um, the idea of church, the, like, so literally Jesus said, upon this rock, I'll build my church. And the disciples were probably like, his what? <laughs> He's going to build what? Because prior to that, God had moved in the context of temples, and a temple is a structure that his presence would dwell in, right? And now we understand our bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit, but your body is not the church. He said, I will build my church. So God's not building temples anymore. He's building churches, but your body's not the church. Therefore, it's impossible for you to have church by yourself. Uh, in, in, in Austin, it's pretty popular for Christian hippies to go, <laughs> for, to, for Christians to go out into the, 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 the woods and be like, I'm having church all by myself. No, you're not. You, 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 you may be the temple. You have the presence of God inside of you, absolutely. But the church is ecclesia, which means called out ones, plural. It's not called out one. So, so if you want to be a part of the church, 
Uh, it's more than just signing up for a membership class. It's more than just getting a, a denominational card. It, it is to be built together or to come together. And that can be in person. Um, so all of our small groups are in person, but they're also, we also have a Zoom option because we understand that for some people it's impossible right now for them to come together in person. So um, even right now we have folks watching us from home, folks watching us from Michigan, um, tuning in. And that, that is a part of being a part of the body of Christ. It's, I would say it's the weakest form though. Just as somebody who's going to be leading a small group, I can tell you right now, like I'm going to put my Zoom phone like on a stand, I'm going to stick it right here so you can hear me, but you're not going to be able to engage with everyone in the same way as if you were in the room. Um, I mean, unless you guys have been living under a rock for the last year and a half, Zoom isn't all that great. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if you figured that out yet, but it's like, you know, a Zoom meeting is not the same because you don't pick up on cues. And so somebody starts talking when you're, start, when you're talking, and then you stop talking, but then they stop talking because they thought you were talking because you were talking, but you stopped because they were. And nobody's talking now. Or like somebody, you know, does, they, they don't mute their phone. And so their dog's going crazy, their kids are talking, and they're just kind of going through, you know, and we're all, we all get to be a part of that. And it's lovely and it's wonderful. And just mute yourself, please. Just do it. I mean, so I'm just saying that for those who are not able to, this is the best that they can do. Like I, I think of like uh, Carol, for instance, Terry Laurel, different ones, folks in Michigan that are not able to be in person, but we do. It's almost like a lifeboat. Zoom is like a lifeboat on a cruise ship. No one's going to pay to get on the lifeboat, but the lifeboat is there as a lifeline so that you, if you need it, you can hop on it for a while. So um, it's, it's, the experience is far less. <laughs> you, you, there's no buffet. Um, it, the experience is far less. But it'll, 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 it'll get you alive, and it'll, it'll do the trick. So if, if you cannot join in person, absolutely join on Zoom. Come on in the lifeboat and come along. Uh, if you can join in person, we'll have snacks at our group every week. That's all I'm saying. It's not, we're not going to do ding-dongs again because that's obviously inappropriate. But beyond that, we're going to have some good stuff going on. Um, and and th- we're going to have the, that connection, right? That community, that relationship that is so vital. Yeah, it's, you know, Harry was talking about people having church by themselves. And yes, you can connect with God, but you won't, um, you won't be part of the church and part of that what it was put here for. It won't be tested. You know, I didn't find out I was a selfish rotter until I became a parent. Rotter, that's a got married. New Zealand word. You know, if you, if you stay, if I, you know, rotter? Um, yeah, see, they don't Naughty. I don't know. What, a rotter is someone that's just being, they're being Lame. stinky. You know. Rotten. Yeah, rotter. Rotten. There yes. All of those things. Um, but I didn't realize that I had selfishness in my life until I have children asking me to do things that I don't want to do. And then I'm like, wow, done it all. Okay. And so, you know, until you're put in a situation where things are asked of you, you don't know stuff about yourself. You don't know that you might not have the joy of the Lord in you at all times when those children are doing certain things. And so it's <laughs> tested, you know, and yeah. that's what community does. Being a part of community tests the fruit of the Spirit in you, and it allows you to know the parts, the areas of your life that you're not relying on the Lord. Mm. You know that you're not plugged into Him. I remember when I was a single girl 
the Lord's, um, before I met Harry, I, I didn't used to like the idea of a relationship very much. I didn't like commitment very much. Commitment was a bit of a terrible word in my life, and I just like to be a bit of an island. Commitment phobic. A little bit. And, um, like and Chandler. So, like Chandler. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember the Lord saying to me one day, I know, darling. And I remember the Lord saying to me one day that, um, you know, Rowena, would you, would you notice if I stepped out of your life for a day? And I was like, oh, oh, um, I, I hope I would notice, Lord. But really, at that stage in my life, I had everything I wanted. I snowboarded every day of the season in the winter, and I rock climbed and mountain biked every day with my 20 amazing Christian girlfriends who were just so much fun. And I always had people to play with. One of them's back there somewhere, Jana. She's been my friend for forever. And... Um, you know, I wasn't put in situations where I was pushed so much that I needed God so much. I wasn't in mm. Afghanistan under persecution. I wasn't a mother of young children. I wasn't mm. um, a spouse. I, I, I just lived my own life. And so I have found that as I have put myself into the situations, into community that actually asks something of me. You know, the mountain community doesn't ask anything of you. We have a rule that if it's a powder day, there's no friends on a powder day. Basically, you can break your leg and your friends will leave you and they will say, we'll call ski patrol. But that's how mountain community works. You never put yourself out for another person. But that's mm. not what the church is like. Yeah, and that's where it's important. We were talking about this message on Friday night with the family. And um, Micah, they asked us what we were talking about. And we said, well, we're going to talk about the importance of community and how God dwells in community. God uses community. And uh, Micah said, well, not all community is good. And I said, that's very true. Um, because there are, there are, there are some friends that you'll be, you'll get around that will not be a blessing to your life. Um, God doesn't dwell <clears throat> in the middle of all, uh, community. And, uh, and, <clears throat> and, and, as we've, as we've pastored City Chapel, we've noticed that there are some people that it's not that they're like shy and not outgoing, but that they'll be a part of City Chapel, but they'll never make any friends in City Chapel. <clears throat> all of their friends will be unsaved people. They have all these, oh, this is a big circle of friends that don't love Jesus. And they, it's because they think that they're evangelistic. <laughs> they have the gift of evangelism. Well, they very well may, may have that gift. But evangelism and friendship are two very different things. Evangelism and dating are two very different things. <clears throat> they should not be mixed. Um, God dwells in certain levels of community. And, and, and what we've found is that a lot of times people are often, I think, scared of Christian community because Christian community does have kind of a different standard. It does ask something more from you, kind of like you were talking about with the, with the weed whacker and, and, and the power. When, it, when, it pl when, it, when it's plugged in, now it's wanting power to be able to do what it was called to do and created to do. And yet many people, they don't want uh, that to be asked of them. So it's much easier to be around people who are not Christians because around non-Christians, I mean, you're, you're amazing because you have a little bit of patience. You have a little bit of love. Wow, you're, wow, I just can't believe you're such a salt of the earth kind of person. You know, it's like, you know, you get around all your non-Christian friends and it's like, it's like you, 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 you everybody's looking to you. And, 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 and actually sitting at the bar, you sound like a theologian, you know? I mean, you know more about Jesus than everybody in that whole row. And they're all just like, oh, look at this guy. He knows so much about Jesus. Actually, you don't, but just compared to all the drunks, you do. 
You know what I mean? And so sometimes we, we intentionally pull back from community that we feel like would sort of call us up another level that would sort of maybe challenge us a little bit of people who maybe know a little bit more than us. And I don't want to say anything in the small group because I am not as smart as so-and-so. I don't know about, enough about the Bible as so-and-so. But then we get in other circles and we feel really bold because we obviously know a lot more about the Bible than everybody else all around us. And so we maintain our circle in such a way that we're never challenged. And we're never, uh, we never have to step down from our ego. We never have to just be humble and be like, oh, this is where I'm at. And so-and-so is over here and so-and-so is over there. And it's okay because we're all in this thing together. But, but the, the key is humility. And so it does take humility to come into Christian community because um, in Christian community, we have a standard. His name is Jesus. And so it's not any of us. It's not any one of us. None of us are like, hey, you need to do what I'm doing. No, we're all trying to live like Jesus. And we're all seeking him. And so uh, community is, um, is, is intentional by God, and it is powerful, but it's also um, his tool, not just to dwell with us, but to work in us and to change us. So a few years ago, I think it was three years ago, um, I had a vision, and I've shared it just a couple of times, and I felt led just to share it with you today just as we close. Um, I was praying for somebody in our church who was in a situation, and I was praying for them, and I felt like God gave me a vision about our church in general, and it had application for this individual as well, but um, it was a really clear, pretty vivid um, image. I'm going to try to explain it to you. I'd like to get an artist and maybe draw it at some point. That would be cool, but it's in my head right now, and so I'll just share, with, I'll share it with you the way that it came to me. So I, I I saw like a city, a small city, a small town. Like I've been in several um, like little Mexican towns um, where there's a little square and there's a fountain in the middle and, and there's little cobblestone street, gray cobblestone streets around it. And people are sitting kind of on the side of it. And then there's these little shops all around the square and like um, homes on top of the shops like they used to do back, back in the old days. People live at the shop, you know, above the shop and they go down and work in the and so there was living quarters. There were people, lots of people walking around, um, getting bread, getting groceries, talking, chatting, catching up. Um, it, was, it, was a, it was a little city, a little town. And then, and then uh, the camera started sort of zooming out a little bit. And I could see a little further beyond that, there were like living quarters, living districts, like, a, like an old, almost like an English town, I guess, uh, when I was walking through the streets of London, you know. There's like these, like these little teeny little roads. I don't know if you've seen those. There's huge, tall buildings on either side. And, and so I could see these living quarters and people were like hanging out their laundry and, and doing different things and talking. And then I zoomed out a little further and there were some grassy areas. It was like the middle of a town. There was some country, there were some farms. And, um, and, and that's what I could see. And then the camera started moving to the right my right, so your right would be this way, started moving over to the right, and there was like this path, this cobblestone path that went out from the middle of the town, and there was trees, and there was, uh, again, a few more farms out there, and um, just some different people walking along the path, and this cobblestone path began to disintegrate into grass, like it, it blended into into just a grassy field. The path just kind of disappeared, and then it was grass, and then there was this really steep mountain, just this massive mountain, and that's when I realized the cobblestone path was basically engrafted into the mountain, and, and I, I couldn't see the top of the mountain, but the mountain just went really high, and there was this glory, like this light that was just shining from it, and I really had the sense that the mountain 
was like heaven. It was like the kingdom of God. And it was, it was beautiful. It was awesome. There's all these green trees all around it. And then there was this, this mountain. And there was just a few people, just, just a, a few, like one or two people straggling, just kind of walking from the town along the path up the mountain. And I thought, okay. And at that point now, the camera sort of zoomed out even further. I could see more of the mountain, but I couldn't see all of it. And now I could see the town back. Uh, so this is the right. So the town was back here. And, and I could see just making out little specks, barely, barely any specks of people. But that's where I could see that the town actually wasn't just a town. It was a bridge. So it was this very thick um, brick bridge, like 30 or 40 times the thickness of the houses. It, was, it went down, and it was all the cobblestone, that, that brick. So the cobblestone, there was this massive bridge going from this land mass over here, stretching over just an infinite chasm, um, onto, engrafted onto the mountain. And it was so weird. I've never seen a town on a bridge before. I was like, whoa, okay. I'm used to bridges and I'm used to towns. I'm not used to the two being the same thing. But this town was, was on a bridge. It was basically just, you wouldn't even know it was a bridge. It was just a town. And then you got a further perspective and you saw the bridge engrafted into the side of the mountain. And so then the camera zoomed in more to the left. And so I had seen the mountain now on the other side of the bridge. It zoomed in there and the same thing. The path was coming out from the village and it was, it was, dis, it was kind of disappearing and falling apart into grass and going on to the land on the left. The land on the left, though, was really dark and it was barren and it was dead. And there was a lot of people wandering around just in rags and like sick and um, like they were about to die. And, and I saw those people sort of wandering, and then I saw people that lived on the bridge. They had gone over um, to that side of the bridge, and they were just standing sort of just waiting for people to wander because you didn't know it was a bridge. It was just grass. <clears throat> and so, so different ones would wander on, and they would start talking with the people that were sick and, and looking really bad. And then I saw them sort of take them <clears throat> by the hand or by the shoulder, and they would just walk them into the town and they would get them new clothes, and they would set them up with a place to live, and they were just kind of integrating them into, into the city on the bridge. And, and that's when then it just zoomed out, and I felt like the Lord spoke to me and said, City Chapel is a city on a bridge. And um, I was like, well, that's odd. Um, but but as, as I began to pray about it, I realized that Jesus is the bridge. He is the path. He is the, the one who laid down his life and bridged the gap between heaven and earth. He made a way. He is the ladder that Jacob saw in his vision. Uh, when he was sleeping at Bethel, there was a ladder that was firmly on the ground, but it was also leaning in heaven, on heaven, and angels were coming up and down. Jesus is the bridge. He's the connection point. He's the one who spans the gap between where we are to where we need to be, and he always will be, but, it, but he's also the rock, right? He's the cornerstone. He's the chief cornerstone. He's the rock of ages, and yet the rock of ages turned to Peter and said, on top of this rock, I'm going to build something. What? The rock, Jesus, you're going to build something on top of you? No, like, it's you. Why not just you? Like, it's all about you. Why not just make it all about Jesus? Why not just, what, like, why did God want to build something on top of his perfect son? You have the perfect example of love and of righteousness, of truth and of justice. You have the perfect man, and God's going to build something on top of that one? Yeah. Upon this rock, I will build my church. Is the church perfect? No. Is the church as perfect as Jesus? No. 
why then would God build something on top of his son? And, and, and as, as I was praying about this, you know, you have this bridge. Jesus is the bridge. Why this town? Get all those people out of there. Let's just get people across. And this is where I realized that had it not been for people on the bridge in my life, I never would have made the treacherous and oftentimes discouraging journey from where I was to where I needed to be. The truth is, God could have just left the rock, could have just left the bridge, and nobody would walk on it because it's this old abandoned bridge and it's really difficult and it's hard to love your neighbor as yourself. <laughs> and, it's, and it's hard to be patient and kind and long-suffering and it's difficult to do the things that he said to do, to turn the other cheek. And it's, it's really difficult to love your enemies. This rock was a stumbling block. It was a chief, it was a stone of offense is what scripture says. People are tripping over it right and left because it is, it's offensive. It's difficult to get around. And as a bridge, it's really steep. It's really tricky. But I feel like God builds his church because he wants the human element that the, 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 the bridge is salvation. And loving your enemy, yes, that's a path towards salvation. And turning the other cheek, that's a path towards salvation. And doing the things that Jesus said, that's a path towards salvation. But you and I probably wouldn't do it very well if we didn't have people next to us saying, hey, you know what? This is what helped me. I remember I was 16 and going through a really hard time, and my pastor didn't even know what I was going through. And he just looked at me and said, Harry, you're going to make it. And that alone was encouraging to me. And so I feel like, you know, God builds his church, his church, his city upon a bridge so that we can continue the mission. So, so this is what I see for City Chapel. I see us as a city on a bridge that we live here, but we, we're not necessarily staying here. We're, ultimately, we're going to the mountain. Ultimately, that's the point. Uh, whether, whether, whether I, don't, I don't know if Joe is going to the mountain this week. Uh, I know, uh, uh, you know, we've, 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 we've seen some people, we've sent some people off. Even at City Chapel, only six years going, and we've sent some people off to the mountain. It's been awesome to celebrate their passing to the kingdom of God. Uh, but for the rest of us, like, we're, we're, we're here, and we really care about people who aren't here yet. And we really care for people over here in this land where people are wandering around and are broken and are hurting. But... The way to help those people is by, yes, going to them. Yes, handing out what, 87 backpacks last weekend. We weren't even here. You guys just blessed our community. Like, that's wonderful. Feeding kids uh, through our Keep Kids Fed program. Yes, that's wonderful. Absolutely. That's our attempt to go over that along with other things. Is our attempt to go over to that other side and say, hey, church is here. Hey, we love you. Hey, you're fine the way you are. You can come as you are. Like, you don't have to get changed before you get on the bridge. It, like, and, and we try to make it as easy as possible, make the bridge look as much like the grass as possible. Because we want to reach people, to bring people onto the bridge. But at the end of the day, what are we bringing them onto? Are we bringing them into uh, a loving community? Jesus said that they will know you by your love for each other, not your love for them. And in 1 John, as I've been reading 1 John, preaching from 1 John, it's all about love. I don't remember any passage in 1 John where John says, go love the world. 
or go love people in the world or go love your neighbor, for instance, even though that's in Scripture. Uh, absolutely. But it's not the focal point of Scripture. Throughout 1 John, it is, this is how you know that you have the love of God inside of you when you love your brother or your fellow Christian. So if all your friends are not Christians, pick up 1 John and read it and let it convict you. Because this is really, really, really important. I just don't really get on with Christians. Well, that's why you need Christian community. Because Christians will will grate against your pride. And that's a good thing. People who don't vote like you will grate against your pride, and that's a good thing. You might just have to be like, well, I guess we see things differently, and I guess that's okay. (gasps) You might have to do that. This might become a part of your conversation. This might become a part of your life. Because if we don't, it gets so crazy. We have people thinking that folks cannot go to heaven if they voted a particular way. That's crazy. Like in terms of Bible reading, that's crazy. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believed in him and voted for every Republican shall go to heaven. Like that's not in the book. It's insanity. Like Like no, Jesus is the bridge. Jesus, all by himself. There's no politician who's also the bridge. I couldn't vote for somebody who, 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 who votes for uh, abortion. Well, okay, well, you don't do that then. You vote for who you should vote for. But this is not a biblical thing. I mean, what are you going to do? Get to heaven and be like, well, Lord, I voted for the guy who said he was against abortion. That's who I voted for. Never shut it down, of course. It kept going for 50 years. But I'm going to pat myself on the back because I voted for the guy who said he would work on getting it, getting it illegal. Now, come on, this is not Christianity. Who you vote for, whether you wear a mask or don't wear a mask, whether you get vaccinated or not vaccinated, whether you're black or white, these things are not in the Word of God. Jesus is the bridge. And he calls people who come from various backgrounds, who vote in various different ways, who believe various different things about viruses and all kinds of other, and all kinds of other stuff, to come live together. And it is within the living together that we understand that the most important thing is not who we voted for or what we wear on our face or don't wear on our face. The most important thing is Jesus. He's the bridge, and he's holding us all up. And we're in community with each other. Because even, even in Paul's day, right, you never, you never see him admonishing. Because it was a democratic society, right? Roman, they, 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 they had, that's where we got our republic from, people. But anyway, like, he, he never says, hey, you ought to vote for so-and-so, or you ought to make sure you do. No, he never goes into any of that. Because the kingdom of God is different. We're on a bridge. We're suspended. We're living on this weird space between earth and heaven, this space that is just, it's like, okay, this is, this, is, this is Jesus. This is the space he lives in. We're living on Jesus, building our life on him, but we must build our life together on him so that we can encourage each other as we go along. Um, just in closing, uh, we, we, we had our, our natural church development survey. Many of you took that survey. Many of you online took our survey. Um, every year, we try to poll our people and see where we're at and see how the church is doing. And let me tell you, one of the lowest scores, just to help encourage you, <laughs> um, one of the lower scores, and this, this uh, I'll, I'll give you a couple, but this is why we think small groups are so important, 
Number one, this one was very low. This was below average in churches in America. Um, and it was, the, it was the reply to this, this question right here. I find it easy to tell other Christians about my feelings. And that's you all. That's our church. That means most of our church do not find it easy to tell other Christians about their feelings. And honestly, I think our culture is trying to get people to not tell anybody about their feelings because you'll, you'll get your, your, your head chopped off, right? Even stuff that I said just right now. I mean, some people are, oh, you can't say that. You can't say that. So, yeah, but, but no, this is why we need Christian community, though. This is why we need small groups because many of us, City Chapel, not all of us, but many of us do not know how to share our feelings with other Christians. And I think that's sad because I think your feelings are valid. I think they're important. And I think, and I think when, you, when you're not sharing, the rest of us are missing out on your perspective, missing out on your wisdom, missing out on what you have, what God's shown you. And so we have to get together Break down those walls. Create a place where it feels at home, where you feel comfortable sharing about your feelings. One other one, other one just to encourage you a little bit. Um, when someone in our church does a good job, I tell them. This one's rated even lower than sharing feelings. Um, in other words, for many of us, we don't encourage one another. And that's, that's me as well. I need to work on this too. And so all of us, I feel like small groups is the answer for us to come together, to begin practicing words of encouragement with each other. She's a words of encouragement person on the whole love language thing. I am not. Um, so I need to work on that in my marriage. I need to work on that with you all. I need to work on that in a, in a room together, um, like this room or that room or that room over there. And we'll come together and we'll, we'll have a safe space where we can share our feelings. We'll have a safe space where we can work on practicing words of encouragement um, without being cheesy, and, uh, uh, and, and we'll grow together as a body. And so this is, this is our hope for you. So we, are, we have tables out back, um, and we want you to sign up. But if you can't stop by the table, if you cannot stop by the table, um, you can sign up online as well. And actually, if you're watching from home, you cannot stop by the table. So please... <laughs> Um, go online. You just go to citychapelchurch.com and up in the top right, uh, click on groups. It'll take you to the small groups. Ro already talked about the small groups and then you just sign up. Now to sign up today uh, in person, you just give us your name and your email address and we will physically put you into the same process. We'll just put you into our group. Um, But uh, we really do hope that everybody will be a part of some kind of group. And there are different kinds of groups. There are um, groups that are happening right now, but there are also groups like groups that meet on Tuesday night for Keep Kids Fed. That's, that's a group, a group of relationships who are serving together. They're, they're doing something together, and they're building relationships, and there's conversations, and there's, they are hanging out even not for serving sometimes, um, but they're able to share their feelings, hopefully. Uh, all right, feelings coming out. Good. That's good. Uh, they're able to share their feelings Hopefully, words of encouragement are there. Um, I'm convinced that if, if, if everybody who took this survey could be a part of a small group um, that we were in, in, in investing in each other in, that uh, we would see uh, the ability to share feelings, that that would go up. Because um, that's really important to us uh, as, as a leadership. We want you to be able to feel like 
you have people you can talk to. And, um, and I know it doesn't always happen on Sunday morning, right? So that's what small groups are for, to be able to do that. So um, thank you guys for joining with us today. That's our altar call.